Welcome to the New Shores Podcast, Sounds Edition. I'm your host, Tim Harrison. On this episode of the podcast, I sit down for a conversation with percussionist, drummer, and educator Rosendo Leon, more commonly known as Chendi. Chendi Leon is a citizen of the world. Born and raised in Cuba, Chendi was introduced to percussion by his father at a very early age. Having to live with the oppression of a regime that initially promised freedom and justice but failed to deliver on those promises, Chendi dreamed of being free to express himself musically. With a belief in the opportunities of a wider world, Chendi took the dangerous step of coming to Canada as a refugee, bringing with him the sounds and stories of the Cuban people, as well as, eventually, his parents and his beloved pet dog. Chendi is an incredibly in-demand musician and sideman in Canada, as well as a percussion instructor at Canada's highly respected Humber College. From making homemade cowbells from the bumpers of rusted American cars to inspiring young musicians looking to express themselves, Chendi brings a story still unfolding in our midst. Recorded on July 21st, 2017 in the lounge high above Privet Studios in downtown Toronto, here is my conversation with Chendi Leon. Chendi, thanks so much for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, so um, to start, uh, you and I have only just recently met, uh, and we met through a mutual friend, Marito Marquez. Absolutely. Uh, who's a correct. fantastic performer, big fan of Marito. And he had, uh, he had done the podcast previously and said, there is this guy that you have to talk to. He's like, you really need to talk to this guy. He's fantastic. His name is Chendi. I want you to meet him. I said, sure, that's great. And then we happened to cross each other at uh, Marito's birthday party. That is correct. And he was very excited that we got the chance to meet there. Um, and you were very kind to, uh, to accept my invite to come and, and talk and, uh, and you know, share your story. So thank you very much for that. Absolutely. And thank you for allowing me to you know, be part of, the, of your project and, and have a voice your stories. Fabulous. All right. So you, were, you are Cuban, correct, by descent? That's correct. I was born and raised in Cuba. Okay. Yeah. So tell me what childhood in Cuba is like. Like what 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 are the what are the experiences, the sights, the smells, the sounds of Cuba as a child? What do you what sticks out in your mind? What are your memories of that? In my experience, um, it, it was a beautiful thing, uh, and it it comes down to. Um, the, the story behind the Cuban population, mm. um, which is African and European, mainly um, from Spain. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, I was a happy kid and I'm still a happy person because of that, because it's important that we, you know, we have a happy childhood, you know, experience. Um, and 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 it was absolutely amazing because I was in, in involved in this mix of amazing tasting food, you know, from both cultures, from both traditions, mixed now in just one under the name or the you know the Cuban. But uh, so food is a, it's a very strong uh, uh, 
uh, an important thing in, in Cuba, you know, as well as music. And such a strong one that when we describe something and we're talking about music, in Cuba, we use terms from the cuisine, from the kitchen, to describe how good that music is. We can we refer to a, a, a good, a well-sounding music or band. We goes like, wow, uh, that tastes amazing. You know, that has oh. such a beautiful taste. And we're referring to music, to sound. Hmm. But it has an amazing uh, taste. But because we relate... Good things always with the kitchen, always with the good tasting food, mm. you know? With, you say a pickup line to a lady, a beautiful lady walking on the street, or a girl when you are, you know, that young as well. Uh, you use terms from the kitchen, you know? And you say, like, you know, you must taste beautiful, you know? But it's in a way, it's just saying, like, you look beautiful. Mm. You know, you're not talking about eating, that mm -hmm. person it's just like we use a lot of terms so you know you smell like just the same way that we would say you smell like a beautiful flower you know you you're so pure we refer and with terms of the kitchen so mm. i grew up with all those things around me music all the time and good amazing smelling uh food that from my grandpa to obviously mothers you know women they would know how to cook wow you know really well so hmm. so so taste is and still is it seems very very important to you in your language of of how you reference the world absolutely hmm. i think i have learned to 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 accept other uh ways that humans has developed all over the world you know, especially, let's say, for instance, this city mm. where we live in, like Toronto, it's a very cosmopolitan, if I, I might I may say, uh, city where there's hundreds and thousands of people from all over the world. So I have whitened my, my views and my, my acceptance, you know, but, um, but it is still important. Mm. Absolutely. Wow. That's... It's interesting how, how you say, you know, as we would compare to a flower, you would compare to food. And naturally, I would think, of course, everybody compares everything to a flower, but not in every culture, right? There, there are different cultural touch points and, and references. Yeah. So how did you, um, in your youth, uh, what was your exposure to music? Uh, did you, is your family musical? Uh, is everyone around you musical? Is that also part of the, the culture in that... Even if you're not a musician, you are still very much affected by music. Uh, that is correct. Mm. Yeah, and in my, you know, my story is that as far as I remember, since I was inside my mother's womb, I've been, I'm always been a musician, mm. because my dad was a musician. He's still a musician, oh. and my mother was an excellent, and she still is an excellent dancer, and also related always to the music scene and music jams within the family, mu music, um, you know, shows and things like that. She would, as a young person, she would go and dance with her dad to this 
uh, places where people now we call them well, I don't know if we call them anymore discotheque or mm -hmm. dance floor or whatever a club, right? Where people go to dance. Those uh, existed in Cuba, and then she would go to dance with my grandpa, her her dad, and she became an excellent dancer. And she's not a musician, but she can play the the rumba and the song clave, and be perfectly not not crossed, you know, with the clave and the rhythm that is going on with any particular band playing on the radio. So, as far as I remember, I, I'm always been a musician. I discover a passion for music since, you know, when when I was very little. According to my parents, when I was four years old, I think I did show them that that uh, that's what I wanted to do. And my my dad started then introducing percussion instruments, such as the bongos, were the first ones mm. uh, to me. And what did what does your father play? He plays bongos and congas and uh, a version of the timbales that we, pl we play, mm -hmm. but they're called timbalitos. And it's just a, uh, a smaller size of the same thing that you see in, uh, in uh, 13, 14, or 14, 15 inches timbales, mm -hmm. but they're small. I believe there are like 10 and 12 or 10 and 11 mm. inches. That's interesting. Yeah. Why do we have the larger size here normally then? That's, uh, well, I think they became more, like, appropriate for the kind of music that, that um, we nowadays play, which it's under that big umbrella, whether it is the Cuban music umbrella or the, the other umbrella of uh, the same Cuban music, because it's exactly the same, but it's called salsa. Mm, okay. And... Um, I think it's the instrument, the sizes that started going, like, you know, growing bigger and bigger because the volume of the bands also started oh, okay. becoming louder and louder. Things got now all of a sudden uh, plugged, you know, and then mm. electronically pushed, you know, right. as opposed to just one mic in front of all the whole band and everything going through that. And then placement of the band was an important thing back in the days for for bands in general, not just in Cuba, you know, in the States too. I'm sure they were doing exactly the same thing. Mm. But um, um, I think that's the story behind the timbales. Although they came from another uh, instrument that it was not always how we look at the timbales today. It was like type of a, a timpani, a short, a small version of timpanis. Mm. Yeah. And then they started... Uh, I believe um, trying different shapes with, you know, I guess the makers cut the bottom of the timpanis and then they became this thing that they started calling them pilas. Mm. Pilas. And I think timbales, I, I'm not sure. I'm researching on this currently because you might know or might not, but I'm, I've been a teacher at Humber College. Right. For ten years, so I I truly want to be as prepared as possible for when for when students they have all these questions and they want to know about the, you know what I've been exposed to, mm -hmm. where, where I'm supposed to be coming from, and what I'm supposed to know. So well, what you're supposed to know is you know is is your experience. Yeah. You, you, whether 
you have all the answers, at least you're willing to go and find those Absolutely. answers and look and learn yourself. Right? Exactly. There's a lot of teachers who will just say, well, you don't need to know that, or it's not important, go look it up yourself, yeah. and, or, or sort of protect their knowledge base and say, well, you, it, I, it's not important, or here's a generic answer. It is true. But if you're willing to go and investigate and learn more, and you're bringing more to students, right? Yeah. You're giving them the benefit of your experience and you're constantly learning. That's, Absolutely. that's a great experience. Yeah, if I might say that to me, that is really important, mm. even just as a, for my personal experience. And I respect a lot the, the fact that I've learned a craft, something that our uh, ancestors, you know, they, they, they brought, not in the best way because they were forced mm. to come to new lands, do something else, you know, and I'm talking about specifically about African people, you know, that at some point of human history, they were took from their lands and brought to do like, you know, uh, forced uh, work or yeah. hard work, you know, for, to, for other people. But they brought all these immense and rich cultural, you know, from, and again, it goes back to food, you know, and music and within music, dance, you know, as well, it's part of that. And, and uh, I always try to pass that to other, whether it is a colleague that I'm talking to uh, about music and they're interested in a, or, or a student. And a student, I always look at a student as a chance for me to also learn. I'm always a student, even though when I'm supposed to be teaching someone or passing info, that's how I would like to call it. Passing something that I know that perhaps you don't know and you want to study with me and I'm passing you information. Mm. So history, it's part of that, uh, you know, it's it's important to me. That's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm very comfortable uh, comforted hearing that, right? Because uh, there are people whom I know who have had very bad experiences with teachers who have been very didactic and and you know they teach you what they know and that's sort of it. There's no exploration. There's there's nothing that takes you beyond. True. So uh, so it's 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 great to hear that that there are people out there who love to have that experience, learning from each other and and you know experiencing those things together is great. Yeah. You know, there's more to be more to be discovered that way than there is that's right. you know, somebody trying to you know enforce some kind of you know isolated knowledge that they know and that's it. And that's it. Well, that's great. Um, so what, what styles of music were you listening to as a child? What, what are your first musical memories? I, uh, I remember a lot listening to the music that my dad and mom were, you know, listening through either radio or the, the turntable, mm -hmm. vinyls. And uh, I do remember listening, listening a lot to one artist a lot, which was Benny More. It's one of the most incredible singers that ha Cuba has always, you know, uh, had and still have because his music live, is going to live forever mm. and the, his presence, his name. And, uh, and that was a mix of, um, at the time, it was called Guaracha, or, um, which is the same you know, it's complex because just the, the, the name changes as a few new elements or answers of, of influence from all the music are mixed into that uh, way of making music. And then what it used to be called 
sewn, evolved eventually to something else and to something else, but it's the same formula now just with other stuff, mm. you know, mm -hmm. other elements. And then perhaps musicians felt the need to call it differently or even bands as they were trying to be unique. They, they, they were calling their own style, perhaps, you know, of the same music, but, you know, all of, it was called guaracha, which is the same as salsa son mm -hmm. nowadays. And then I believe uh, also boleros. I did listen a lot to boleros, to cha-cha-cha mm -hmm. from one of the most important groups in Cuba, which is Orquesta Aragon. Mm. Unbelievable musicians, unbelievable writing. They can take, they could take, and they're still around, but they could take especially the, the, the original leader, uh, a standard piece and make it into a new piece, such a, you know, uh, with a beautiful arrangement, fresh and such a unique uh, version of the original, which it was already a great, you know, version, but, but it was unbelievable what, what this band was capable of doing, especially with under his, uh, his lead. Mm. Wow, that's that's. Uh, I'm 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 excited by your excitement of that. Yeah. Like, it's not music that I have a, a great history with or, or a, a huge experience with, but your excitement of it is making me want to to learn more and to understand more about that. That's fascinating. Those two artists are ready. You have tons of music to go through hmm. to go and and listen to Benny uh, More and Orquesta Aragon. Okay, nice. Right There's there. plenty more, but I'm just giving you those two for <laughs> That's now. That's a great start. You know? That's a great start. And that was my, my exposure. Those, I'm talking about them because also I mentioned them because those were the, the ones that my dad would listen the most to at the time. Nice. So um, the, uh, the, the cultural uh, experiences of Cuba when you were, when you were young... Um, Younger, sorry. Uh, <laughs> was uh, what's uh, what was the um, the general sense of life there? Was everybody comfortable and happy in in um, in their uh, station in life? Was everybody feeling? Uh, was there a sense of being um, isolated from the rest of the world? Did you live comfortably within a specific sphere of of Cuban society? Uh, in North America or in the world, we sort of look at Cuba as a very isolated society, a very uh, protected and, and stricter society. Um, how did you feel that way? Was, was that, did you sense that? I did. And I'm going to give you my experience, which Please. it could be different than another person that was born and raised in perhaps the same town or a town 10 kilometers away from mine or a different province of the island. Mm. So... Um, in my experience, um, I did, uh, you know, again, it, it is an island and the island teaches you something that, that uh, there's separation because of the sea. You're still united, you know, to all the lands by the sea and you can still travel, but it's not as easy as pick up and go and start walking and eventually you will end up somewhere mm. when you have the sea all around it's different you have to get into a, onto a boat or something something that floats and get hopefully get somewhere else so it is a different process and therefore uh, you uh, 
help older ones, you integrate yourself to a society whether you are struggling or not. Mm. Because you get to know, because it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the biggest island of the whole Caribbean Sea and region, but it's still, it's an island. And you get to know all the people pretty much within your village, within your town, a lot of people, even within a, a big city like Havana, you still meet a lot of people and see them every day and, and, and perhaps keep meeting new people. But there's a point where you, you're so connected to a lot of people that, you know, within, even within the big city. And because people are so outgoing and they're, even if they don't know you, they say good morning to you, they open up. And then perhaps there's no, there's no uh, friendship, but there is a relationship that definitely that starts developing, mm. right? So you, you, you have this sense that you, you know people, you, you get to meet people. Wow. So that and the fact that the moment that you're uh, oppressed by someone else, you, you only have one direction, which is to... How do I get rid of this? How do I make my life better? How do I learn to do things better so the no becomes perhaps a, a yes with limitation, but a yes with limitation, right? Mm. So I did feel um, oppressed through my childhood, you know, and then teenage years. It was worse, you know, really like... Um, more relevant to me that I, I then I understood what was going on because the fact that is, and the reality is that the revolution, it's it's a system under communism, or, 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 or that was the system put in place by the president at the time. Later on, became a dictator. Mm. And that's my opinion, but that's that's what happens when uh, someone, any human, tries to stay in power. Mm -hmm. Whether they are perhaps good, I doubt, but any dictator, it becomes not good to people when it forces himself onto you know the power, and because he doesn't want to let go, he wants to control that. So um, it, it is. It was. It was a tough situation. You know, it was a very hard situation because the moment you start being conscious of all the issues and you start asking questions, uh, you were shut down by whether it was your family says like, Shh, you cannot talk about that. You cannot express that mm. out on the street because you never know who's listening to you and you can end up in jail. Mm. And from jail, you can go just like far worse. You, can, you could die. They could kill you, you know. Many people died at the beginning of that revolution, mm. even though it needed to happen, and it, it, it was true that it was for a good cause, but it got corrupted right away. Mm. And they started doing exactly what the people before were doing. So they were no good. Right. After a year or so, they started killing people for political reasons that were against that revolution and against what they start seeing coming at them under the the the... the you know, the description that the leaders of the revolution, especially Fidel and his brother, they started saying, it's like, this is a green revolution and we're trying to get justice to people, poor people, and, you know, and then you're going to choose your president. And none of that happened. Mm. 
And this is all on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying any lie. I'm not exaggerating. This is my story. But this is all on YouTube because it was captured by cameras at the time. His first speech. And then, and then hopefully, like, that, things were going to change for the Cuban population. And they did change, but they got worse. Mm. Little by little, start going backwards. Mm-hmm. Right? So, um, growing up, it was difficult because there were no... Uh, no access to uh, things that you could have got an interest in, in on, you know, like this instrument. We don't sell that instrument. There's no way to get that instrument. Well, how about to uh, go and study Cuban music at school, which is another thing that it's like nowadays it doesn't happen. Hmm. In Cuba, it's recognized as this amazing fountain of knowledge of their music and you would think that back in this perhaps 60 or 70s all, all the, the, the those two decades especially they would the first thing that they would teach at a music school in Cuba was Cuban music and mm. rescue all the Cuban music mm-hmm. and it wasn't mm. it was based on on uh, Russian you know classical music okay. that's what they would teach I music school and mm. they, they would catch you playing any kind of popular music uh, phrase or element or something like that you know on the piano or any other instrument they would kick you out of school and they would they will re- report you wow and we're talking about a country that is so rich in this you know culturally in this you know, area right. that you would think that that's the first thing that you want to support, mm-hmm. you know? But that would be anti-revolutionary, right? Or would that be considered anti-revolutionary? Well, to stand for the right of defending the music that your grandpa and you saw your, gra- your, your dad playing and to stand against the government, it was a tough decision for most people and you would end up like not achieving anything and probably thrown in jail. Wow. You know, so you people would play around with the system and try to convince and change them. And I think that some people did actually in Cuba. Some Cuban musicians, some teachers, you know, eventually they they got they got some of the 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 people that were in charge of uh, taking care of the education board, which not necessarily they knew what they were doing, but they, they reflected their interest in. The interest of the revolution of mm-hmm. the leaders, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think things changed in the eighties. That that was already pa- part of the past. But all the things, you know, were still around. And you know, I was thrown in jail for five hours just because I was walking. Not even walking. I was traveling in the bus. Got out of the bus to let go of people that were getting off at that bus stop. And then a police officer just grabbed me and took me to a police station because he wanted to interrogate me because I had my hair. My hair was long. long How old were you at this point? I was um, probably 17. So at 17 years old, you're you're getting off of a bus and you're sort of standing back to let other people off. That's it. And get off, get on, on, on the bus again. And there's a cop just walking by and then he sees this long-haired young person that rather doesn't look like 
a good Cuban, because for them a good Cuban has to have had a you know look in in one way. Hmm. Whether it was I don't know because that kept changing through the all the decades. You couldn't wear jeans because jeans was a thing from from an American view point of view. You know jeans were like this thing that all the all those American people they wear jeans. You know we have to wear different kinds of shoes and different kinds of pants and different shirts. Everybody has to look the same way because this is the revolutionary way. You know, this is a good way. Those are evil. Mm. You couldn't listen to the Beatles, American music at some point in the in the radio. You were thrown in jail if someone catch you and then they, they report you on the phone with, to the police. And then that got removed. And then everybody was listening to popular music, music from outside the world and not Cuban music anymore was played in the radio. Mm. So you would have these up and down things with the government probably and people in charge of all these institutions not knowing what to do. Wow. And doing awful things. So tell me about this experience where you were thrown into jail. So you, you, you got off of a bus to let other people off and then a, a police officer just decided he didn't like you, didn't that's like it. the look of you. Probably. That's exactly right. And then right. just took you, to, took you to jail. There jail was no explanation. Hours. No explanation. The Nobody guy talked to you about it? No, the guy couldn't even read my ID. My ID. Because I give him my ID and he says like, so where do you live? And he goes like, well, officer, he says right there, I'm live, I live in San Antonio. I'm just traveling from Havana to my town. And, and what do you do? It's like, well, can you read? Everything he says is there. And I was already... Uh, working professionally. Mm. I was a musician already, working with bands. I've never done uh, that I'm, that I was conscious about anything wrong in my life, got into trouble, you know, hurt someone else. Always try to do the right thing even though I might have failed at some point because I didn't know better. Mm. But um, that's all I was do doing. And then the guy just got pissed off with me mm. because... You know, he got upset because I, I, I was responsive. I was like giving him these answers and asking him rather than him asking me. Mm. And then I said, why are you taking me to the, 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 the station? He was like, oh, you have to come with me. And then he threw me in there and then he started insulting me as he was, he put me in that cell. He started because he wanted to, I, I guess, find a reason Perhaps there was a benefit behind all that. Mm. I don't know. I've heard stories about police officers, perhaps here or in other countries, if they report many tickets by uh, traffic in your infraction, mm -hmm. then perhaps they get the rest of the afternoon. I don't know if that's correct or not, and that's fair or not. I'm not trying to say that. But I think there's some kind of benefit to some uh, activities that officers might do throughout the day. And mm. then... You know, I don't know mm. what he was, but I that but that would repeat re, and repeat with any other young person mm. in the island, and whether it was long hair or your appearance, you would always, if you were not looking the way that they are trained and brainwashed by the government, you would then be, you know, looking very different, and mm. therefore we have to investigate you. Mm. What's what's your mind thinking? Why are, why are you looking like this? What are, what are you doing? You know. Now, uh, so this was happening to others. What, what was the 
what was your what were people's reactions to that? I mean, obviously it's it's frustrating and it's scary and it, and it, it it doesn't make any sense, but did it become just commonplace? So it just happens. You're like, well, I was thrown in jail again. It, was it like that, or I was think there so. a building up of frustrations and people were getting angrier and angrier and angrier about that kind of behavior? True. All 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 that that you said, all that happened mm. and it started happening and. Um, I think it started happening more often to m most young person, people. And then also the frustration started building up. But there's no place that you can take that frustration with that government because they're not going to listen to you. Even if you do it in a passive way, mm. they're not going to sit together across, you know, from, from a table. And then you honestly saying to them, I think th this revolution is doing all these things wrong. And why are you doing these things wrong? And then you have to listen to the young people because they were young at the time and they took things you know, under control in a violent way. Mm. And I don't agree with that, but they felt that they needed to do that and mm -hmm. they did it. And that's why they, we, the Cuban population, which it was always betrayed and abused by every single president. Mm. It's not only Fidel that has done, created a dictatorship and for 50 something years, it was the guy before Batista and the guy before. True is that all of them, they did social uh, uh, work and they built stuff, you know, for, for the society, things that were needed at, at, at their time, you know, but, uh, but, there's no way, no, no place to take that frustration simply because, especially this last regime in the island had and still creates a, a sense of not trusting other people. Mm, okay. Because the simple fact that from the very beginning of that revolution, they had all that in mind and they orchestrated this very, very well and they created what they call Comité de Defensa de la Revolución, Committee of Defense of the Revolution. Mm. And what that means is that they put per each block, on each street, on each village, each town, each city, a house reporting for the government, reporting uh -huh. locally for that police station, mm. and that police station represents the government and mm. represents the same ideology, the same regime. Mm. So... If I'm the one that was given that, that role, I'm watching you and I'm watching that what is it, it what's going inside your house mm. that, it's, that it's not a, uh, that, is, that, it's, that it's not um, within the allowance you know, mm -hmm. of what the, you're supposed to get. It's not revolutionarily approved. Kind exactly. Of thing, right? Exactly. Uh. Wow. You, you got a new car. And how did you get a new car, Tim? Because everybody knows everything. And I know that if you work for, let's say, uh, a radio institution there, that it belong, everything belongs to the government, by the way, mm. then I know you get a hundred and something pesos a month, which is, it's pretty much nothing. And so how were you able to get a car? So you are investigated right away. Mm. You are reported to the police. Wow. You showing new clothes and no one else is showing new clothes because no one has access access to new clothes. Mm -hmm. Do you have a contact? Do you know someone 
foreign country or some some kind of black meaning uh, under the table market black you know black market, market you know so and those things were illegal mm. always been legal have a piece of meat in the in the, your fridge with our receipt don't dare to do that because the mm. police open uh, knock your door and they they um, how, how do they, you call when they they come and they search search mm -hmm. your house right yeah, yeah. Um, and they found something that you were not supposed to have, you better have a receipt for it, although, although otherwise you go with them to the, the station. Hmm. That's it. And I'm not exaggerating to you. Those, hmm. That's the, some of the stories of what the Cuban people have gone through all these years of revolution. Revolution that shows itself differently outside. Hmm. Now, why, why does this continue, this pattern, why does that continue to happen in Cuba? Like over, you know, several different regimes, as it were, going back, you know, a couple of hundred years maybe, uh, or a hundred years. In like, many other places yeah. of the world, yeah. Why, why, does, uh, why does this continue to happen in Cuba? What is, the, what is the, the cultural significance of that kind of dictatorship, you know, happening over and over and over again? Right. I think that um, the reason why it continues to happen is because they dis destroy in the first place the trust in the Cuban population to trust to reunite, rebuild, uh, stand for something, go out on the street, you know, and they, them destroying that, that, that sense of, you know, you have that right. That right was removed. Mm. from people because you you wouldn't dare to do that right you will be gone the next day or the same day because they will go grab you and you're gone mm. and your life becomes hell mm. in the island because everything is controlled by them right so you can't get away from you it, can't no. get away from it right. and it's a, remember it's the sea mm. even your passport were removed from you mm. you know at some point this, this was my experience and many of the musicians in the island. Perhaps things have changed nowadays, but you wouldn't get your passport until you, 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 get, you got to an airport in Cuba, the airport in Cuba. Mm -hmm. The representative of that institution will give you a passport or the leader of the band, and then you do your check-in and all that. You travel. You, let's say you go, you go into France. You check-in check in France through customs there, and then you get your passport back. Once you give it to the officer... And then say, merci beaucoup. And then you go and you, you go for just 15 days on a tour. That representative of that, the government in that tour, which is doing nothing and nothing, nothing else than watching everybody. Mm. And that no one stays outside Cuba. In most, most cases, it happened like that for many years in Cuba. Mm. People would travel, someone doing nothing with a band. Who's this? It's not even related to the band. Oh, it's just their representante, their representative of the of the institution, the cultural inside institution inside Cuba. Inside Cuba, and then not inside Cuba. When you go in outside Cuba, okay, all right. When yeah. you travel locally, yeah. no, that's that's because they already there's have nowhere nowhere you're gonna go. You just go into another town, play, and come back, or another province. Wow. But outside Cuba, you will be given your passport at mm. the airport in Cuba. You travel, and once you get to the, the your destination, it will be taken away from you. Wow. Hmm. So people could not stay because that means all of a sudden you're, you enter legally mm -hmm. to that country, but you're illegal. Right. Without a passport. Yeah. 
plus all these stories of fears. You better don't stay. You guys cannot stay because they always fear that because that, that means that people can talk outside Cuba about the real situation in Cuba. That's why they caught Cuba from the outside world. That's mm. why no one can watch any other news or any station as you wish because it's your right to do, to choose what you want to listen to in the radio, what you want to watch to in the, on the TV. Uh, if you wish to go to Panama or to Miami, it's just because you've never been. And it's a right of human, mm -hmm. of any human, because we are travelers mm -hmm. in the first place. Mm -hmm. Removing all these nonsense and very superficial thing that I am Cuban, you're Canadian, he's American, all that, it doesn't make sense to me. But even accepting that, there is no reason why you, you would ban and prohibit anybody from doing that if they have their finances, mm -hmm. you know, the, you know to, to do it. Mm -hmm. And lock your door and walk away and travel and then come back within a month. You couldn't do that even. Mm. The moment you saying to the government, I'm, I'm moving, I'm going to another country, they take possession of that house. Wow. And if you stay legally in any country and then you apply for whatever under, um, what's that called, um, refugee status or whatever. Or a, a that, request asylum yeah, or something. Right? Yeah, you, that gets notified to the island and then whatever property or something, anything, it will get, it will get confiscated by the, by the government. Hmm. Unless the, the family would do something prior to that but you had to do it so many years because that's the other lock that the government did uh, put in place for Cuban fa uh, families not to pass uh, a property to other ones because oh. they like to punish people like that. You could have not give your house to your sister, let's say, mm. if you had a sister, because you wish to move to China. And now by moving to China, that means you're not going to live in the house. What good is it for you if you are away now, all of a sudden, but you don't want to lose that house mm -hmm. because you never know how things gonna gonna go in China, mm -hmm. right? Or in Russia, and then you, then you want to leave it to your sister. That's it. You sign it over. This is your house now. It's you could have not done mm. done that. So they hold that over you. you yeah. Know, if you leave, then we're taking everything that that you own, so that if you even tried to come back, you would have nothing. Yeah. And they and they and, this, and yet again, you still dealing with them if you wish to go back to see your siblings. Mm. Even though you're, you're so far away from that, now that you stay in another country and you start from scratch and from zero, this fresh life and opportunities. And again, no government is perfect, mm -hmm. right? Under whatever the name, the title, the communism, uh, capitalism, this, that, because it's, it is uh, control and somehow it is by human beings mm -hmm. and we have yep. a lot of issues that to resolve and through history yeah. we haven't been able and we still fighting over any religious saying or this piece of land or that other thing or these um rich you know um resources resources right. exactly right yeah. so anyways uh when you wish to go back to cuba you have to ask for a permission to the government. You have to ask for a visa and they can still deny you. Hmm. My parents were denied. Really? For five years. 
So tell me about that. So obviously at some point you left. Yep. And your parents left. I assume you left with them. No, I left before because oh, I okay. came with a band. And then oh, it was just a tour that was supposed to take place uh, within 15 days. Okay. And so tell me about that. Tell me, how, how did you, what was the band? How did you end up in the circumstance where you were touring? Give me that story. I'm very curious. I came in 99, 1999, okay. in July 14th. Mm. I just celebrated my your anniversary 18, yeah 18 years in in toronto in Fantastic. Canada. yeah which is great mm. this is home for me um so i knew i was gonna stay even before you got here even before i got here because i was i was convinced and already uh uh had it in my in my mind and it was clear that i was gonna stay anywhere i would go outside that island because it was my first trip Oh, wow. It was the first one. And how old and were you, if you don't mind me asking? No, of course not. 26 years old. Okay. Wow. So it, it just happened that, that I didn't choose to come. Obviously, yeah, we didn't have, we don't, we, we didn't have that right to choose like where I want to go to tour, you know, especially as a Simon, you know, you're working with a band and whatever the contract that show up and that's a band that should consider, you know, themselves fortunate when you get a contract a tour line up to go to travel outside Cuba you know because everybody would fight for that opportunity because you would get a break you would go to places that you haven't been you would all of a sudden grow have a chance to grow as a human being mm. because information allows you that whether it is bad or not it is good information or bad information but it's up to to you to to recognize it mm -hmm. and accept it or challenge it right right yeah so anyway, I traveled with that band and, uh, and I knew I was going to stay. I stayed, no doubt, you know, I stayed and I, I came with nothing. I came with, I came with nothing, just a few pieces of clothing and like $40 in my pocket, I believe. Mm. And, and then I needed to pay that ticket that, that I used to come and it needed to be purchased like two-way tickets because mm -hmm. I didn't want the, 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 the government to, you know, mm -hmm. realize that. Why are you going with just one-way ticket to Canada if you're going for 15 days tour, you know, work? And um, so anyways, it's a long story, but to, to give you the short version of the story, we all showed up here. The band came a few, few days after me. And, and, and a year and a half after, I was able to provide my parents with the opportunity to come here too. Oh, wow. So they, like, they came and they also applied for the status here, refugee, you know, status just because we all went through different situations at each of us, each of us with the government. My mom also was taken to to the station, the police station. So we, we all have stories and real stories. Just because um, someone broke into a factory in Cuba of uh, cumin and oregano. Mm. And apparently they stole a lot of that, that food and that, that uh, spice. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to, to, to find who did it and then for whatever reason, my mom and my dad, at some point in the 90s, the government, you know, through all these up and down changes and 
they allow people to open their own uh, business, mm. if you, you want to call it like that, uh, at your place or or any local that local that you can rent or have. Um, and then my 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 parent, my my dad, and my mom, they put this thing about like what could be considered today fast food, but it wasn't. It was homemade food right there in front of your eyes because you would order a sandwich with something with uh, let's say with uh, an omelet. Mm-hmm. with cheese and stuff like that because at some point then food started coming back and you would have local especially in the countryside farmers and there will be a, a farmers market mm. that would you know supply some stuff and you can buy it from them and then you can sell and you can perhaps come up with your own recipes of things and then people would become interesting about your cuisine your kitchen and then and then come and spend some money in your dishes you know Mm -hmm. so um someone comes by which was an agent of the government and then he's pretending to order something and and then he asked my mother like do you have any cumin or oregano that you could sell me and my mother goes like no i really don't don't have to sell but I have some. Would you like some? I can give you some. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's what we used to. The neighbor doesn't have salt to cook. And she goes like, Maria, you have some salt that I can borrow from you today and I'll give it back tomorrow. Or I'll give you this other ground provision or something. And yeah, sure, here. Here's mm. the salt. And you are able, you are accustomed to share everything and what what you have and what you don't have with your neighbors and wow, your okay. people, right? Yeah. So apparently this guy just went back and he goes like, well, she's not selling it, but she, she definitely, she has. So she must have bought it from someone. People walking on the street. Tengo gomino, tengo oregano. I have cumin, I have, you know, oregano. Mm-hmm. And you buy it. Sometimes, you know, that stuff. Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to just go without food. You're not going to let your, your family go without food, without eating for whatever, a day mm-hmm. or so. No, you're just going to reinvent the wheel again, you mm-hmm. know, and make it. Right. And that that's the wheel that has support and that's that's what has allowed Cuban people to still be happy, be comfortable with life even though it's, you know, it's not a good life. Mm. And then you have then, again, all these institutions like the, uh, you know, forces, police, the army, the government, they're all their messages always on TV, on big, you know, walls like Revolution, Live Forever, and Che Guevara, which is another character that young people don't even know about what this guy was capable of mm. doing. And I'm not even going to get to because this is about talking about many things and not just one subject yeah, with you, right? right? But yeah. and, and still, people have to put up with all that. But you find a way when you do, you go through struggles to you know, make it through, mm-hmm. right? And at the end of the night, people are perhaps a little bit hungry or not hungry at all, but happy. And then they get together at a corner, they play in dominoes. And whether you're drinking an alcohol kind type of drink or not, or just water, you are having fun with your friends there and listening to music or the radio and some other kids, every kid in the in the block or in the neighborhood playing together. Mm. No one is afraid of that kid playing with not not with that that other kid or not touching or not no we all you all grow up and you all have issues 
and then the next day those issues are resolved and then your friends you again you know so it is that life there's more important things in life yeah. you know and, and it's you know? you're you're trying to make the best of a situation where you can't change it so you live as best as you can inside That's right. of it excellent way to describe wow. it and that situation actually forced me not forced me give me the opportunity to to learn skills mm. my dad taught me to do to make my own drum heads and really? that's a lesson, yeah. And we wow. would do it from X-rays film. Really? Yes. That's X-ray film. We would go to the hospital, and then they would throw away all the X-ray film once they are already used, mm -hmm. and they have these person X-ray. You know, they cannot reuse it because you cannot, I guess, print another X-ray on, on the film. Right. So they would get rid of it, and then that's exactly the same film that drum company use for our drum heads. That's fascinating. And my dad says, like, this is the way you do it. Come, you know, with repair, repairing shoe glue. Yeah. And that's another thing that you have to find on the, on the black market or, or the illegal market, I would like mm. to call it, mm -hmm. you know, that you cannot just legally go to a store and buy it. It's, it's from a factory that people work there and they repairing shoes or working for the government, repairing or making new shoes, and then you buy from them a jar of these glue, right? Mm. And then a metal rim that you would make yourself or, or pay someone that has access to metal mm -hmm. and metal work and all that. And then you make your own. I did my own, my own, my, my drum heads, my entire music life in Cuba, I made them. Wow. And my own cowbells from the big, the, the fender of the American cars. Really? I used to do it. I swear to you. That's amazing. My sticks, my claves, all those things. Okay, th this may be a silly question. Do you think that they sounded better than cowbells that you would buy today? Did they have something special about them because of what they were? Or was it just, this is what I can do, and I'm good with that, but now that you have access to real, you know, real instruments... That was sort of makeshift and not interesting? Or is there something about that still? Something about, it's a fender of an American car, and I made it, and I can make music with it. Is there right. something still special about There's that? There's definitely something special about that, because in the, in the process of making that, it's a skill, like I said. Mm -hmm. Like, you learn to do something, not to be stopped by any situation. You go, like, forget about it. I'm going to make it. So your brain, you're still feeding your brain... And most importantly, as you have all this energy that you don't know sometimes how to control and how to displace it to, to do something good, because you can really do with that same energy the wrong, uh, something wrong mm -hmm. and hurt someone and do silly things and stupid things, mm. you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. really get into trouble and, and hurt other people. But if you direct that good energy into something like that, even though you're... you're you know, you have all these walls that come up. It goes like, can I do this? No, you can't. Can I say this in, in this lyric that for this new song? No, you cannot do that. They would not play the song on the radio for you. Mm. Can, I, can I buy a new pair of bongos? No, you can't. You have to buy them reused from, like, used from someone. And those are, like, old bongos. Mm. You know, the new ones that perhaps were, were made by now, within the revolution, mm -hmm. a factory, they were... Horrible instruments because they were not, they didn't have quality control. 
see. And they were horrible instruments. The ones that were made before the revolution in Cuba, mm -hmm. they were still going around the island, but no one would sell them because that's your only pair of bongos. So you would take care of that and repaint it and clean it mm. and, and, and never let go of, because it, it, it was, it was uh, something precious, right? Wow. So definitely there's something really special in that process of making an instrument or making an element that you can play music with. Absolutely, no doubt. That it sounds better, I think I define better as, as you know, the style of music that you're going to use it for, uh, the song, if the song really requires, requires a, a, a cowbell sounding with this pitch or this other pitch or this note, you know. And definitely I would give good credit to things um, built in the past because they, they, there was such a quality to them that they still remain around us. How many of us collect something that is from the past rather than the, the current one? Because right. the quality control nowadays seems to not to be there and not mm -hmm. to be a priority for makers. You mm -hmm. know, and perhaps back in the days, everything was done by hand, you know, and it had that, that uh, amazing quality, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it all, it's, it all depends. I think right now it's also great to, to say that if you using a, uh, a cowbell or a stick that he has some, some specific, you know, details about it, you bet that you go back and then you can find that same one mm -hmm. and it, you, it's almost going to feel... 100% the same, you know, a cowbell is going to sound the same because now they have access to machines that they, they, they would make exactly the same cowbell with the same pitch and mm -hmm. it's not going to vary in sound. Mm -hmm. So and also I think that's something really good mm -hmm. when you want to count on that. Your old cowbell broke and you want to replace it and you have a session tomorrow, you bet that if you go to the store, if they have it, you're going to play and it's going to sound the same, mm -hmm. right? Right. Wow. I love the idea that you are making your own cowbells out of an American car's fender. Yeah. That's, I mean, there, there's a beauty to it. There's an art to it. There's a craft to it. Absolutely. But there's also kind of a, a, a sadness to it, right? In that that's what you have to do to be able to produce music, right? And that means that there's one less fender for a car when <laughs> you can't import anything, right? Yeah. Wow, that, that's, that's absolutely incredible. Uh, guitarists, they would make their strings from uh, electrical wire. Really? They would last shortly, you know, mm. they would not have a, a long life, right. but they would, and nothing would stop them. It was like, oh, another one broke again, okay? Gotta go and make that string again, peel it off, you know, the whole thing, and then cut it, and, but it's like that. While at, this, while at the same time, some musicians that perhaps they they were living in the city and they had access to contact with the outside world or some uh, musician from another country, they still could have access within the same period, mm. access to original stuff, mm -hmm. good quality stuff. Not everybody was going through that situation. Mm. But the fact that you couldn't go to a store and buy it, that was equal to everybody, mm -hmm. right? Wow. So what was your experience when you, when you first came here? What, uh, like obviously, as somebody who's never had to go through that, um, I mean, I, I don't even know what my first step would be. What, what, do you 
land and, and just say, I would like to request asylum? Or do you, do you get out of the airport and look around and see what's here and then, you know, try and figure out where to go? What, what, what did you do? What was your process? Yeah, well, I was scared because first of all, I was coming from a land that you feel like scared all the time because mm. am I doing the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? Am I wearing the right clothes? I don't know if I'm going to be, you know, where am I going to end up today? So mm. I kept that in mind, although I was like really so excited in that plane because I was traveling by myself first when I came, mm. not the rest of the band. The band came after. Mm. And I was so excited because I just, I made it out of that island, even though I love the nature and have nothing against that. And to me, I couldn't, I, I would celebrate my entire life until I die. Those cultures, those that the African cultural and, and the Spanish cultural, you know, and they, for, they shaped me, they made me who I am, you know, through my parents and my experience and the people that I met. Mm. And I would never detach from that. That's who I am. Mm -hmm. That I feel like that I am Cuban, I'm not too sure about that because I'm first human and I'm a traveler. Mm. And I don't stop myself from, from, yes, I am that. No, I am a person. Mm -hmm. And first of all, I have to have respect to you and treat you with respect. And then all those boundaries or borders, I don't agree with that so much, but I respect them. They're mm. somehow they bring order to to the world because we also, we are a crazy bunch, right? <laughs> yes. And I do, have, I, I accept that. Yeah. Right? Mm. But um, when I came, I, um, I didn't apply right away at the airport because I wanted to have a sense of how, what, what, what was the best way to do it? Because mm -hmm. I didn't know if they were gonna send me back right from the airport. Oh, I see, right, right? yeah. Because you never know, you never know if there's an agency of the Cuban government working in, in I don't know, many places, because you hear stories, you hear stories, the Cuban government or any government secretly, when they wanna remove someone or bring it back because they've done something or they know secrets of that government that they're not supposed to be, you know, uh, shown to the, the population, the public, they could extract that person without the rest, the news or anybody knowing. Mm. And I've heard stories, the Cuban, in fact, the Cuban um, agency, the uh, whatever they're called now, I forgot all that, but uh, agents, they have removed people from here and made it back to the island. Wow. Send it back. So... You gotta be cautious because I also heard stories, and this is true, and I have a really good friend, I met him here, that he was chased by one of those agents because he realized that this person, my friend, wanted to defect here in Canada, and he was chased and was trying to be forced, like force him to go back to the plane. But he ran and got some, somehow the attention of an officer here, and then and they couldn't touch him. Once they he was, guarded or, you know, protected by Canadian uh, officers, mm -hmm. they, then they couldn't touch him. And I said, and that plane is not leaving until you bring down his luggages and whatever uh, wow. things that belong to him. So, and they, they could get really nasty when they, they really, you know, want to do that, you know. Mm. So, that, so your first fear is that anybody could be against you exactly. when you're landing. Exactly. So did you play the gig? I did play the <laughs> okay. gigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did play the gigs. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't going to damage the reputation of that leader for that band because 
he was not looking at staying here. Okay, all right. So first human and then my personal staff say, right. no, you got to be, and I was honest to him. He knew what I was going to do. But mm. I said, but I'm a young person. I cannot deal with this mm -hmm. situation in Cuba anymore and I need to get out of here. I need to see the future. I need to be in charge of my future, not mm. someone else saying what I, I should do with my life. Right. So, and then he respected that and he helped, helped me in fact, I'm not, I cannot say the story because by all means, yeah, yeah. fair enough. He could yeah. get in trouble, but yeah. but um, he um, I I worked with the band until the very last day that the band sent my payment to the government with him because they would take ninety percent of your payment, so he wouldn't get in trouble, mm -hmm. and then he can say, I don't know what he did after, he just disappeared. Mm. And which he, it is true, that, that's what happened. Mm. I disappeared, mm. you know, here. And tried not to uh, relate them to my story and what I, I wish to do here. Mm. So I did apply after, after a few days, but right away I knew. And being Canada, the first place, just, it was by coincidence. That's, that's where the tour was bringing me to. Mm. Um, I always had Canada as one of those countries that, first of all, it was beautiful, the land, because I do remember watching what we call adventures, like a TV series, mm. Aventuras, of, uh, it was called Danger Bay. Uh, remember that? Yes, I do. And that show, yeah. such a beautiful scenes of, of, I think it was BC, It perhaps. was, yeah, absolutely. And I said, oh... My goodness, I wish I could live in a, in a place like that and have access to the, all those resources. Look at those lakes, look at that sea, even though I, I have nothing against the Caribbean Sea and all that, and I loved it, and I, I enjoyed it pretty much every weekend in my life. I would ride my bike to, to the sea, even though it was like 25 kilometers away, but mm. it, would, it, would, you know, it would be accessible like that. Right. So I dreamt about Canada for many years, and then finally... I get a job at a hotel in Cuba, and it was not a national hotel, it was an international hotel that was getting a lot of Canadian mm. traveling there and staying at the hotel. So I met a lot of people from here, mm. and carefully, I talked to many of them because also that was, you were prohibited to talk to people, but because we were part of the entertaining and training and staff, mm. the members, so we would play music and also entertain people. In a, in a way that we would be part, in, integrated and interacting with them, whether it was a game that they were trying to display by the pool or, or something uh, at nighttime as part of the, 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 the show mm -hmm. with the music. Right. So I had the chance to talk to people and they would say, it is a beautiful country. And then, by the way, we're not Canadian. We came from Yugoslavia, mm. you know, but I didn't know better because I didn't know how to recognize different accents, English accents. You right, know? yeah. So to me, English all sounded like the same from whether you were from England or from Canada or from the States. I do recognize a little bit because of the American movies, the, mm. the cowboy, right? right? The, like the that Western, accent, right? Southern yeah, accent, right? Yeah. Huh. Through cowboys' figures, you know. So, hmm. um, and so, so I... Canada was my number one in the list, not really the state, because mm. I was not a fan of the states and the things that the U.S. do things in the world in the name of democracy, and I would never agree with that, although 
There's beautiful people in that country, mm-hmm. amazing story, and culturally it's rich. Mm-hmm. The same thing again. Lots of food, great food, lots of great music, jazz, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all the stuff that came and led into jazz, you know, in New Orleans and yeah, New Orleans. And, all and the, influenced by the Caribbean sounds absolutely. that were coming out of Cuba. Absolutely, and, and, absolutely. Yeah, wow. A lot of Cuban musicians made it to New York and formed that, that whole scene that now it's, it's called the Latin jazz scene in mm-hmm. New York, but yeah. it was at the front of that, that uh, movement were a lot of Cuban music, musicians. Mm. And they were the ones that brought Cuban music to the States, mm. as far as I know. Wow. As early as, I don't know, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, even before that revolution, mm-hmm. people were this, this, uh, uh, making a decision to, to move and mm-hmm. go somewhere else. Hmm. Now, when you, when you decided to stay and, and you requested asylum, what was happening with your family? Were you were they aware that you were going to do this? Uh, w- were you able to contact them in any way, uh, or were you isolated from them once you had made that decision? What what? How did that dynamic work? Um, no, I was never isolated from them. Okay. Like because you could pick up a, f- a phone here and even make a collect call or pay for the 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 call here by a calling car or just dialing through bell phones at the time, home, mm-hmm. home phones, right? And you connect to a phone, a line, a line over there. And we didn't have a phone in our house because it was almost impossible to get a phone even if you wanted to pay for it mm. to get a new line. But some people that had already and were transferred from family member to another family member, old doctors, people that were important, consider their their role in society, they need to be, you know, available. Mm-hmm. So the hospital needs to call this doctor and we happen to live bef- beside a doctor. Mm. And beside also uh, um, uh, someone that culturally was was uh, an, an agent for the government, but a sweet person. Mm. And it was like family to us too. And they had a phone. So I could call my parents on both of those lines and talk to them. As far as... Um, um, I think you asked if I was kind of afraid or if it was difficult. I think it at the time, because there was no computerized system in Cuba, things would take longer to get in the system, in the Cuban system, notified. And, and I think it was faster here, definitely. I can tell you that at the time in 99 and 2000, my, 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 my refugee like process, you know, paperwork, it was done so quickly. Within 11 months, the government was able to do that, mm. you know, and, and provide you with some legal documents that you can then legally start working and do your things. But uh, um, perhaps the government wasn't informed that well in Cuba, or it would take longer because of the uh, bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. So right away, I didn't lose any, any time. I you know, provided my, my parents with mm-hmm. an opportunity to come with a contract, real contract. They came, they work, and they did exactly the same thing. Oh, wow. So what, After. what was the contract? What did you get? It was related to music because as we go f- more, like back in time mm-hmm. in the city of Toronto, there were less of the Cuban community, of the mm. Brazilian community, or of this other community. So there were... Uh, perhaps a lack of 
Latin musicians, not as what it is today. There's tons of Cuban musicians. There's tons of Colombian musicians. There's tons of Brazilian musicians uh, that you have, the city have access to them because every, it, this has been, you know, migration of people mm -hmm. coming into Canada, right? Right. So there was a lack of, of uh, let's say, percussionists. Mm -hmm. Perhaps there were other percussionists in Canada, but not necessarily that new Sorry, I meant to say a lot of percussionists in Canada, Canadians, mm -hmm. great percussionists, but perhaps they didn't know that well Cuban music. Oh, I see. Yeah. So this festival was looking for a host mm -hmm. that could, you know, just talk in, in, uh, talk in Spanish mm -hmm. as the person was hosting. And that's what one of my roles, late roles that my mom, my mom did in the island. Oh, okay. A host for a cabaret type of club, and she was the host for every weekend, mm. you know, at some point. And my dad was in, in that band that was playing at that, that club, that uh, cabaret. Oh, wow. And dad came as a percussionist to join the band that was going to be the band for the festival, accompanying many singers that mm. would, would come and sing their repertoire, different styles of music. But it was a Latin, Latin fest. Oh, okay. Everything was legally done, no, nothing, you know, legal. Mm. And then they decided to stay after did the same process, you know. Wow, that's fabulous. And, and were they as impressed with Canada as you are? I believe so. Hmm. Impressed in a good way, and also they had a different experience than me. I came when I was 26 years mm -hmm. old. They came already when they were, uh, let's say my dad was 50-something, my mom was 40-something, mm. late 40-something. So definitely it's different. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it is for everybody, it mm -hmm. is the same, but it, is, it gets harder to adjust to a different culture, a different mm -hmm. rhythm of the city of the people, mm -hmm. and to accept that. Right. Because it could be hard, but you, you eventually you will get there and you will integrate and be somewhere at a comfortable, you know, uh, position or feeling. Mm -hmm. And you feel yourself, you see yourself as one more of the city not anymore as an outsider or someone that, you know, that don't know how to interact with people because in the first place, you don't know the language. Right. right? Mm -hmm. I knew a little bit. Mm -hmm. And even though once I got here, I realized that I, I didn't know nothing. <laughs> because the fact that you go inside a store mm -hmm. and people just see your face, they don't know that you don't speak. Yeah. And someone would say, how can I help you, sir? Uh, are you going to pay just for gas or would you like to uh, play Lotto? Would you like to, I don't know, get some snacks? And I would be like, huh? I just came to pay for gas. And I was hoping that she would ask me or she would, uh, or he would ask me just for the gas, the bill that I know it was like $21 with 50 cents or right, something right. like that, right? <laughs> and then Use you- a the little bit of language yeah, you know. Yeah, you know that much. <laughs> or people would just talk to you thinking that, excuse me, can you help me? I'm just trying to find, you know, you know where Kensington Market is? And then they wouldn't stop, but they would go like, ah, uh, sorry, no English, sorry, no, no, no help, cannot, right? right? Yeah. And for my, for in this, in my experience, you know, in our story for my parents, mm. it, it, it's been harder. Wow, yeah. My mom didn't know any English. Mm. And still that lady can, women are amazing. I will agree. <laughs> it's just like it's that part of our our other half mm. that to me they are the strongest, the smartest. Not that men are that we're not smart and that we're not wise, but naturally we're creatures that 
I think um, there's uh, something that we are capable of doing really well and all the things we have to realize that not necessarily could be done in that way, that we could do it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And women are so connected to the planet, they have their senses are just amazing mm -hmm. because they give birth, mm -hmm. you know, and my mother can go <laughs> outside with my dad and they're traveling and my dad knows English mm -hmm. a little bit, but that's a lot compared to my mom that knows nothing. And the sensors picking up in my mind, my, my mother's mind, brain, she can guide my, my dad and she can be the leader as opposed to my dad knowing the language and being able to communicate s somehow with people, my mom would figure out things mm. in a way that my dad wouldn't. Hmm. Wow, that's fascinating. So you, found, you, you find a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To get by and to go through, you know? That's, that's, that's fascinating, I like that. Uh, my, my grandparents were uh, English and, and they moved to, uh, to Portugal, uh, to Madeira. Um, and uh, my grandmother became fluent in Portuguese. My grandfather did not. Couldn't speak a single word of Portuguese. And do you know when they moved there? Uh, late 70s. You see, and they're la late 70s, you see? So that's different for everybody. Uh, late, no, late 60s, I would say, late 60s. And then, yeah, they stayed there for, for almost 30 years. And my grandfather, just he would just smile and nod, and everybody took care of him, and he got around <laughs> just fine. But, but my grandmother would be speaking fluent Portuguese, and everybody felt bad for him, but they, you know, they took care of him. It was wonderful. It was such a thing to see. But yeah, she was, she was the brains of the operation. You but you know, I mean, he's, he's, he was a fabulously intelligent man, but it was just not his, not his culture. Right? Yeah. So he just, he, he loved it and he would smile and have a lovely time and they spent half the year there. But, you know, they found their way to, to, to make their way through it. Absolutely. And, and it, it became their second home and, and for my grandmother, almost her first home. Uh, but it, it's wonderful to see how you find the ways that you can fit into a society and you can, you can build that relationship with a society, even if you don't speak the language That's well. Right. right? That's and you right. And you can learn to get by. That's, uh, I, I love the idea that, that that can be separate from politics and from Absolutely. borders. It's just, as you say, we're, just, we're humans, right? We, we, we just live and travel and move and, and do as we should, right? Treat each other well and go on, right? That's it. That's it. So that's, that's fabulous. Um, so now, now that, that you're in Canada and you have a status, um, did you think of doing anything other than music or did you want to do anything other than music or was it always about the music for you? It was always about the music and I knew I was going to do music only at, at some point in Canada. Mm. But I had it very uh, clear that when you get to a new place, whether it is a huge city, even more, it's, it gets more complex or really complex for people who get to know you because you bet that there are going to be tons of, pe tons of people doing any sort of job or position multiplied by all the people that are here. And then there will be many people doing, you know, able to play bongos, able to play drums, able to drive a car for a company, able mm -hmm. to whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So I had it very clear that I needed to do anything that come, that come my way or that I could find, meaning any job. Mm -hmm. 
And then I did, in fact. I did, I did roofing. Mm-hmm. I learned how to you know, work on roof and change the, all the shingles. I did meat packing. I did carp- carpentry. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? I worked at a, at a place, at a factory, shaping and making columns, mm. like wood columns. Mm-hmm. Um, and what else did I did? I delivered newspapers. I worked at the Toronto Sun. Mm. Night and day at the beginning because you're young and you have a lot of energy even though you realize like after that you put in your body through a lot of abuse because mm-hmm. you true, it doesn't matter how young or how old you are, you have to have balance mm-hmm. in your life. You sleep well, you eat well, and then you can do kind of any physical activity after that during the day or during the nighttime, but you have to have balance to that. You have to go to sleep, you have to rest. Mm-hmm. So I did what I needed to do you know, at the time. And then I also uh, had a very clear mind that I wanted to bring at least my immediate family, my, my parents. And I also brought my dog. Oh, wow. I, I felt terrible about leaving my dog behind. Wow. They become part of our family. Absolutely, yeah. So I felt like awful just imagining leaving her with someone else mm-hmm. and not even allowing that creature because I have respect for every creature mm. in life. That's how we are able to maintain maintain balance in this planet. Mm-hmm. You know, and I brought it. I brought it even before my parents, a month before. We planted it so well and everything <laughs> came out the way that we planned. Uh, that's great. Yeah. That's fabulous. I yeah. love that. <laughs> so freedom for the dog. As well. Freedom for the dog. That's wonderful. Uh, and how did, did you feel that there was a, um, uh, well, you said it was a smaller Latin music scene at the time or Cuban music scene That's at right. the time. Um, and this was the, the late 90s, you're saying? Very late 90s. Very late 99, 90s. I showed up. So I really had like just six months left of the, of the 90s mm. and right away into the 2000 and then the computers and something's going to go going on in the world and right. things, something's going to happen and nothing happened. It just carry on and, yeah, exactly. you know. <laughs> So, yeah, the music started seeing changing, mm-hmm. whether for good or bad, like some clubs will go, another ones would open, and then, then people hear about you. Mm-hmm. People, oh, there's a new kid in town, and he plays percussion, but he also plays drums, mm. and he's able to play all this Latin music on the drum set, or, you know, as a percussionist, too. And, you know, and then you try to be good to people, and and eventually come back to you, you, you know? You plant a a seed and you water that seed and then you get a plant and hopefully whatever it is that you're trying to get out of the the plant, fruits or, Mm -hmm. you know, environment, you know, doing something for the environment. And that's what happens in any area in society. And when you're new, you have to do that even more. Mm-hmm. You have to integrate. You have to be nice to people. You have to not overstep over, you know, someone that it's already respect that, mm-hmm. but just be nice and just pass your info around and say, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I live here. This is my city now as well. And if you ever one day need a sub or you're looking for a percussionist or I can play guido from guido to bongos to congas, timbales, drum set, or even backup vocals, or anything, even if you just do one thing, but you have to put that voice out there. Mm-hmm. You don't really have to play many things. You can, you know, mm. 
bring something to the to the community. Right. You know, by being honest and say, this is what I do and this is what I can provide the city with and be integrated to the rhythm and learn the scene, learn who's who, the festivals. Oh, that's great. And musicians, they can get grants here to support by the government, different governments through, you know, they do, they give less, they give more, mm -hmm. but still, mm. Cuba, you get nothing. Right, yeah. So here you at least have the opportunity to try right? versus not having any opportunity at all and never getting the chance to try. Right. Um, and by that, I'm, I don't say that we don't have issues that, that, you know, citizens of this city, yeah, we have lots of issues that hopefully we're able to fix and resolve them one day, but, but it's better. Mm. And when you have that A and this is the B point mm -hmm. and you are able to compare the two of them, then you build an appreciation and an awareness for it and you don't take things for granted. Right, yeah. So when you were uh, planting seeds and, and uh, finding your way in the, in the, in the scene here, um, did you find that people were receptive to new musicians from outside of the scene or was it hard to break in because people had those gigs already and people were protecting what they had? Was it, was it open to, to new musicians? Both ways. Okay. And um, funny enough that Canadian musicians, they were very open. Mm. And musicians from all the parts of the world that now they, are, they live in Canada. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, some musicians from the same place that I was born and raised, then all of a sudden they feel threatened, especially if you do exactly the same as they do, that they play the same instrument, all of a sudden, then you get these stories. It was like, oh, like working in music here is so hard and there's almost no gigs and it's almost impossible. Oh, and what do you have in mind to bring your parents? Oh, that's, that's almost impossible. Yeah, this is, this is a tough life here. You have to, you know, look, I've been here for these many years and I haven't still been able to just live from, from music and I have a daytime job. And I was like, okay. Yeah, that's not going to stop me. And that's someone that it could relate to me easier mm -hmm. than people that were born and raised here. Mm -hmm. And that perhaps I'm not much aware of what we go through in the island or what my story was, you know. And, and, and no, and they were very open, mm. you know, the people from here. And I started right away working with the local ones that were already local but international known and, and popular, some of them, and all the ones just locally. And then, yeah, it was just like that in a matter of, you know, word of mouth. Mm. People telling all the ones that, you know, yeah, there's so-and-so here and this is his name or his contact, you know. Try and see. I saw him playing, or I didn't see him playing. It's just like vocally, verbally said to me that he's he's now living here. So it's up to you if you want. If you need someone that can play bongos, well, I think this guy he he says that he does. Try it out. Mm. Invite him to a rehearsal or something like that. Mm -hmm. So you have to be open to all the different scenarios. Would you like to join us? You know, for a jam. Yeah. What what is this for? Is it just like pleasure jam? And where is it as a safe place? Or is it a jam that you're looking for another kind of uh, experience, you know? 
So you always have mm. to ask, hey, are there drugs involved or not drugs involved? Oh, you know, I is see, it yeah. a serious jam mm -hmm. about music? Not a comp in a serious, not meaning competitive, mm. but a jam that musicians are there trying to discover themselves and focus in music, or is it a jam about more drinking oh, and then just play out. one song right. and then more drinking and eating? You know, mm. you always have to ask to make sure that you're comfortable with that. Right. But in my, you know, this is who I am. I've never done drugs and I'm not interested in drugs, mm -hmm. you know? So I would always ask. I recently, just recently started drinking some alcohol, wine or beer, and I never drank back in the days. Mm. Never, not even in Cuba. Oh, wow. So, and there's nothing wrong in doing those things. Sure. But as long as you have um, balance to it, you mm -hmm. know, drinking or, or doing all the thing, if, you, if it makes you happy and it makes you a better person, I would agree with it, mm -hmm. you know? Mm. Now, the, <laughs> so I, I it's fascinating that somebody would be protecting their their turf, as it were, musically, uh, even though they understand you culturally. Yeah. They're, they're still, you know, they know that they have a cachet, right? They yeah. are authentic Cuban, and they can bring that authenticity. Was that a selling feature for you to other bands? Like, I'm actually from Cuba. I have an authentic Cuban musical background. Were people looking for that? Was that something that was important? Or were you just, uh, please don't take this the way it sounds, but were you just another musician who could play the parts? Was, was it really about bringing that authenticity? I think I would leave that to... I, I don't know what they were thinking. I mm. truly don't know. Okay. I can only tell you my side and how I presented myself to mm. these individuals and these bands. Because I come, I have a point of view that, um, like I said, I mentioned before, I don't see myself as Cuban. Mm -hmm. Although I don't deny any of my story and my experience, experiences, probably they are the best ones because they have all those amazing years like most of us could relate to and could agree to of when you're like maybe 11, 12, 12, 13, 14, and you're getting into that teenage, you know, um, years mm -hmm. until you're 20, 21, you meet most of, most of the, you know, your really good friends that stay forever with you. You, you have beautiful experiences, you know, you, you, you go through these periods, they could be also not so beautiful, mm. Frightening, you know, frightened and then be scared of life, and but you have to discover and face all that, which is part of life, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I always presented myself as a human individual. This is who I am, and my name is so and so, mm. and then this is what I do. Okay, you try me if you think I, I fit your what you're looking for. And I have learned from a very early age to serve music and that I'm not any special. You, you're part of a team. You do something with a bunch of people and it always has to be like that. Mm -hmm. That's what music is about, mm. you know. Even when I can be doing a solo or, or, or solo piece with the bongos or any instrument, there's still a movement, a physical movement of limbs working together. So there's still, even within you, there's parts, different parts working together. Mm -hmm. So music to me is such an important thing 
and such a beautiful thing that I tried never to destroy it, destroy it being selfish. Right. Okay. I'm always part of something, not the center of something, and I'm always adding element to it as it requires it. That's all. As a human, not as a, a Cuban musician. That's it. Not as a Cuban as a person. Not as the best musician, because sometimes what we call the best musicians, they have no awareness whatsoever mm. to what the piece needs. Right. And that was their last their last call right. to that project because they were too much up to here, you know, and they were not listening. They were not part, you know, trying to integrate. Mm. And that, that's not the best fit for that that band or that project. Mm. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I always try to do that. And I think that's something that when, every time you do it, you you get success from it. You know, you, you get good results, mm. I think. Well, let's carry on a little bit with your life here. Um, so, as you said, you're uh, you're an instructor at Humber. That's right. So, how did that come about? Was it was it through introduction of people that you knew that you were playing in the in the scene with? Uh, how did how did you find out about um, Humber? What was the? Had you always wanted to educate others? What what took you down that path? It's exactly what you first mentioned. It was by interacting with other musicians, being part of a project or a band, and then you meet this person and then you become co-workers, friends, and then eventually that person is in a situation one day of, you know, wishing to have other players working with him or this institution. And then all of a sudden he's in charge of doing that role, which is uh, Mark Kelso. Mm, okay, yeah. One of the most incredible drummers that I have ever met, you know, in my life that this city has this country and the world in general. And, you know, he asked me one day, we don't work that often together, but we had worked enough and, you know, and played together that he felt comfortable, you know, kind of counting on me for this idea. Like, because he took over the the big responsibility of being the head of the, 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 the percussion department, the, the drum department there at Humber, mm -hmm. because Ro uh, Roger retired, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, he asked me, and I said no, because I was not looking for, for teaching. I had so many things to work and to go through still as a musician. We can never stop. Mm -hmm. We could go on forever. In fact, it should go on forever, the, the finding, the studying, the, the exercising, you know, the practicing, all that. He asked me, and I... Uh, I said to him, no, I don't think I can do that. Because right away I, I was very critical with myself and I said, how can I teach other people? I don't even know how to, how can I do that? You know, like, am I capable of doing that? And like, I wouldn't think so. Mm. But he was so kind and he says like, okay, I'll ask you again at the end of the summer. Take your time, think about it because it's, it's a great opportunity for the school to have a, a, a musician like you, that you have your experiences, you know so much about music that you can, people can benefit from that. And yes, you can teach, by the way. And also you can benefit from being part of an institution like that mm. because I'm sure you would learn so much. And 100%, 100%, you know, what he said and... 
you know, I spoke to my other half, my wife, you know, and, and my family, my parents, and they goes like, you should go for it. Go for a challenge. Go. Like, it is a challenge, but the good things in life are, ch- are always a challenge. And then that's where, that's how we learn. That's one of the ways that we learn, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I said yes to him, and then I started. And then I was always struggling how to find the best way to communicate to students, meaning that I'm there for them, not for me, mm-hmm. not for the job, not just to get paid and to have this role, this position, Humber College or any institution, or to give them a hard time. It's not about that to me, to teach and be responsible of passing information to other ones. It's about a well-understanding, well-communicating really well with them that they gain, that they have a good experience with you, and, and luckily you change their life in a good way, you affect their day, mm-hmm. that they actually learn something new. Mm. That's what it is to me, mm-hmm. to teach. You know, prepare them to be there for them and to ask them, so what would you like to work on today? You're forcing someone to be in that position to think. Not it's Because it, it could be re- very simple and very just like comfortable to go in a room and just wait for the teacher to give you stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, I'll play that. But it's not only about that. How would you internalize that? How would you be creative with that musical? How would you take that pattern and make it into a different pattern or, or break it apart. Hmm. If you're in that situation, if you're brought to a studio and then you, 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 you're asked by the person in charge of the session or the producer, it's like, okay, that's a good rhythm and I agree with some of that stuff, but how can you break that down? Or can you play a variation from that? Well, I guess the best always route to go is like, Absolutely. Just give me a few seconds or a minute, whatever, and let me work something else for you. Because the other one will be the wrong one. Because like, no, this is what I play, mm. and this is that's it. That would stop you even from growing right there. Because you find something else. The moment you are put in the spot, the moment you, you're challenged with something new, you just have to be not afraid mm. of, of finding new ways of being in front of people and then not not being prepared. That's fine. As a teacher, how do you how do you how do you defeat those fears with students? Like, how do you take someone uh, who has that fear of of extending themselves or taking that chance, and and how do you give them tools to to get past that? What, what do you have a do you have a particular method, or is it? Uh, uh, you know, is it unique for everyone? Is that is that something that you find key in their learning experience? I think that it is unique, and especially in the way that I do it at Humber, which is in a private lesson mm. way, which is amazing because you can work with the student or the person one on one, and it allows you to to really pay attention to her or him, and be there for them mm. and see what they need to work on and not having the pressure of having 19 other students waiting for you to give them something to do or, 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 or that you give something for all of them to work on and some are really fast because their skills or their experiences already provide them with a fast learning pace. Other ones learn at a different 
uh, pace, you know, slower. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that they're any less than the other ones that learn fast. Mm -hmm. So what private lessons allow is that you can work on one-on-one -on -one and be there for the student mm. and not take that uh, not sacrifice the the really the attention to that person when you work with a group. I'm not saying it's wrong or it's bad. It's an awesome experience too, and you're challenged too mm. with working with a, a, a bunch of people, a group of people, right? But I I'm a I'm I'm a fan of working on one on one, mm. and that's wonderful because I I just try to be very as honest as possible, meaning like just be present. Mm -hmm in the room with them, listen to them, ask them, involve them with a nice, clean, clear conversation, uh, be simple with them, you know, play for them what, what either they, they wish to work on or, or what you bring into them, what they, you, you're trying to teach them, you show them, and play, show. That's, there's no better way than, than talking about it, define it, you know, explain it, and then and sit down and play. Because like, and this is why, and this is how I do it. Mm. And I also do it this way. And when I'm asked to do it in a different way or the tempo changes, you know, this is how I do it. And, and why is the clave important? Well, the clave is important because it holds all these other elements together mm. that, that even where, whether the clave has been played by someone or it's not, all these other elements, even they don't listen, they're not hearing the clave, they're still playing in clave. Like the cascara, like the, the, the bass, the tumbaos on the bass, the conga groove, the bongo groove, the timbale groove, the drum set, everybody's, it's, it's, it's playing united. The clave, it's uniting them, you know. Mm. So all that, when you bring all that and you bring it in a clear, simple way to them, and you go through the auto tradition, which to me is one of my favorite ones, because it's like, this is how it's done. Here. Mm -hmm. You know, and we go through the struggle of you going through the process of finding a comfortable way to do it. But to me, that's powerful. Mm. And that's the way it's still uh, done in Africa. And you get a whole village or a whole place or a whole community playing, integrating, integrated, and then one person playing one element, the next one plays another element, and they all form a massive, powerful groove. Mm. And that is powerful. Mm. You know? Do so you, are you are you are you moved by a student getting it? Like the moment they you see them pick it up or the moment you recognize that they're recognizing what it is that you're trying to impart, or they're suddenly able to in internalize that. Does that move you? Absolutely. It moves me because, again, it goes back to, and to answer another question that you asked me before about when you were here, what, what, did you use the, 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 the fact that you were Cuban and you were more like, you know, authentic? Mm. I never abused that because I always recognize the human condition of respecting people by who they are and, and agreeing with the fact that there are all the people working really hard at what mm. they do and there is excellence on each person. And anybody can play any, anything, any instrument, any music style, as long as they, they are allowed, they have skills 
and, 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 and exercises put in place to lead them to be comfortable one day to play that, that style of music. But I never take for granted that because you're not from Cuba or even never imagine saying that to someone mm. because you're not from Cuba, you don't sound authentic or you don't sound like the, what Cuban people sound like because it's, it is not true. Mm. Many musicians are commit, they, they do that mistake mm -hmm. and they think that just Cuban musicians sound that way on percussion or, you know, or on piano, on bass, and it is not true. It's mm. not true. Because you just got to be really good at what you do. And when you're good at what you do, that instrument becomes, it's an extension of you, your body, your mind, and you're capable of playing pretty much any kind of music as long as you do the exercise of practicing. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it comes free and easy to any, even when you're born in the island. Mm -hmm. No, you still have to practice and practice and understand the concept of the music and how it's done. It doesn't matter that because you're born there and then because you have the, the music, it is true, it helps. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't come with you. You have to work. And it's no, there's no secret to that. There's no shortcuts. And anybody can have access to that as long as they have access to that music and that style and understanding. Someone that is ahead and can say to them, this is how we do it. This is what it's done. And this is why it sounds this way. Mm. Right? And so when I totally get moved by students and I, I, I get really, I, and I express, I express to them, that makes me really happy. And that you just made my day because it's a proving, you know, every day that I go to Hamburg and I see it in front of me, it proves that I'm, it is right how I feel and how I approach things with them. Mm. It is the correct way because, I'm, you know, I'm not separating them from the Cuban players. No, I'm integrating them and then everybody is good as long as you work on something, on what you do, mm. you know? Are you learning from your students as well? Are you finding things that when you're playing professionally rather than teaching, that you're influenced by the experiences you've had with your students? Totally. Really? Because there's some students that they, once they got to you, to start with you, they had already gone through other teachers that brought awareness to them and they're already playing what is considered Latin music, even though that's pretty wide and pretty crazy term to call it because what's Latin music? Mm. What's European music? What's American music? There's so many formulas that we can, you know, play a song and, and the groove within the song. So it's not really defined, but when it comes to the Cuban music, you know, some some of them, they have already experience and and they're ready to take the next step and the next groove and the next groove. And then there's so, those that they said, hey, Chendi, have you thought, have you, you know, have you thought of doing this groove with this other element or, or playing the clave with this other thing? And I go like, no, I never thought of that. That's a great thing to work on it. Why don't we just work on it right now? And hmm. I show them my struggle. I really don't care. I don't think as myself as important. I don't have to put up with uh, a way, a personality or something, some kind of, 
you know, how can I describe that? You know, nothing. Mm. I am who I am and I'm, this is who I am. And if I know, I know. And if I don't know, I'm not, never afraid to say, I don't know about that. What is that, Tim? Can mm. you teach me? Can you show me what that is? I don't know that word. I don't know that rhythm. I don't know what you're talking about, that concept or that issue that is going on right now. So with the students, it's the same thing. I go, why don't we work on it? And they see me struggling with, with it because it's something new, fresh, you know? And I think to me, that still is a lesson to them. Mm -hmm. I think that I wish that they can see it. It was like, look at this guy. He's holding a position here that he's supposed to be teacher, but he's just, just like that. Mm -hmm. He goes and he works. And to me, that I'm showing them that they have to be comfortable if they want to make it in this hard industry, mm -hmm. which is music, it, you know, there's no record labels anymore. It's, it's harder. It's somehow more even. I see it. A lot of artists, they, now they have, it's even. They had the, the, the tools and the opportunity to work really hard, but are promoting themselves. And it's more even. Back in the days, I think it was where you got lucky if you signed with a record label, but there were many other bands that never got. <laughs> they, were, they were never heard by any record label, so they were playing bars and they never had a chance to tour uh, nationally or internationally. And now most bands, at some point, they, they make it into uh, an international market. They can travel. They can expose their music now across with, with the internet, YouTube. Mm -hmm. You didn't have that chance back in the days. Right. Right? Yeah. So, anyways, um, I, you know, I truly get inspired by students. And by my colleague there, you know, on Humber, Larnell Lewis. What a fantastic. Yes, he is unbelievable, isn't he? Human being. I've met him a few times. We've had some, some really lovely conversations. Like, I, I've, not, I've not had a chance to sit down with him for an extended period of time. I would love to. Yeah. He's a very busy guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, beautiful human being first mm. with all these guys again marito marcus mm -hmm. mark you, you name it because you have to be good to other ones mm -hmm. and and it doesn't matter how good you are you know or, or uh, what you do you know how good of a guitar or bass guitar drums you play the moment you're not humble and good to other ones you know, I think the doors, they start closing mm. for you. Mm. But Larnell is another of those, that, you know, those examples of people and an amazing monster player. My goodness, what that kid can do in that instrument and always hungry, always, you can see him, always learning. Mm. Now we have become, I think, you know, I always knew of him. Mm -hmm. who, who wouldn't know about, you know, if you're in the drumming That's community, right. the musical community, yeah, who the name Lonel Lewis is, yeah. you better, you better go and search and then pay attention to what he's doing because he's definitely putting, you know, pushing, pushing, mm. you know, personally and also the community. He's getting Toronto out there. Mm. Where are you coming from, from Toronto? That's already something that he's doing for back, you know, for the, for the society, for the city, mm. you know. Um, by exposing, by him playing with all the bands, the amazing artists that he works and all the, the countries he travels and how he does, he plays, you know. 
So it's just, it's, it's an amazing place. Mm. And, you know, a great community in Humber. Amazing players all over, you know, that in all the departments, you know, in the, the, the music program, mm. the jazz program. So it's amazing. It's amazing to be part of a, a, an institution like that. And it is, so far, it's, I think it's one of the best experiences that I, and the most important changes in my life as a musician. Wow. And, and such exposure to ideas and, Absolutely. and, and sounds yeah. and opportunities to learn. Yeah. That seems, uh, Humber seems to be a, a generator for great ideas. That seems to be what, what I'm, I'm seeing now. There's, yeah. there's been, uh, I've heard people say that, you know, it's, it's also a bit of a, a ticket. It, it gets you places just because of the amount of, of great musicians who have gone through there and who have um, taught there as well, right, that you right. sort of get that, that leg up, if you will, because right. you've been through that, 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 uh, that learning process there. Um, do you feel that that is unique only to Humber? Humber? Is there something um, that can be exported to other music colleges? Is there, a, uh, is there something special about what you're doing there that, uh, that is, is generating such, uh, such great artistry? I don't know the colleges because my experience has been with Humber mm -hmm. and only Humber before that. You know, I would go you know, maybe once a month or so to a school to teach kids at school and bring awareness to them as for the percussion instruments. And this guy is coming from Cuba. His name is Jen de Leon, and he's going to show you and bring you awareness of, you know, what this instrument is, what you can do with the instrument. And that's great, but it was very isolated, right? Mm. And um, a community and a place like Humber, I don't know, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't even dare to say that other schools are not doing that of a great job because I don't know how they do it and I don't know where their uh, programs are at. And I know many musicians, they also work, let's say, at um, York University or mm -hmm. Toronto, mm -hmm. you know, and they, they share what they do also with Humber and the, these other institutions. Mm -hmm. I know that Humber has raised their bar and their level in the last 10 years. You know, I've, I keep hearing that it's great and there's tons of students from all over the country and internationally mm -hmm. also that go, they go to Humber, mm. you know, because they keep hearing that the level keep going up in, in quality, mm -hmm. you know. Well, it seems that uh, you know Mark Kelso felt that you could contribute to that. So you know, I guess it's got a, a little bit of a uh, little bit of pride has to be there. Do you, do you feel that 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 you've you've reached a level in your career where you can feel satisfied in having learned so much and that you have so much to impart to others? Is there any of that sense, or do you always feel that you're always still struggling for more? No, I don't feel that I'm struggling for more, but I do keep it this way within my mind that I oh I'm 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 not satisfied because there's so many areas, as you know, as a musician, also that we have to work right. on. Just the drum set, it's an instrument that it's like unbelievable. The things that some musicians can do and the things that we have access to do all of us, 
But it means that you have to work really hard at that. You have to sit down on with the instrument and practice and practice and practice. There's no other way. So I find that there's still so much that I have to learn, even within the stuff that I feel more, more uh, most comfortable with, mm -hmm. which is the hand percussions. I always consider myself a percussionist and not a drummer, even though mm. I play drums. Mm. But, you know, there's so much, so much, because you learn then this technique that comes from the classical Indian players of the North India that belongs to tabla or belongs to a different instrument, and then you see all of a sudden a light, oh, wait a minute, that changes the game for the bongo, and when I do this, that can provide me with a different technique to achieve some sounds and some phrases. So, you know, it's amazing. It's always amazing, and it's the beauty of music is that it always, we find a way, composers always find a way to find a new way to put those same chords around you know, a variation, mm. extra, you know, note there or whatever, or semitone or tone also. But it's always amazed me, mm. you know, the power of music and how we reinvented, not reinvented, but come offer something unique mm -hmm. again and again and again and again, you know. Is that our consistent human experience? Is that everybody has something that they can offer in that respect? I would think so. I I could be wrong, but I think that everybody has something to offer completely. Now, in that process, some people might be very negative about it mm. in their life, and they said, "Oh, I got nothing to you know to offer, and I I know nothing. I just come from I don't know. I'm gonna put it as an example. Mm. One of the towns in Cuba. I just come from." Or Havana City, you know, what can I offer to this city? I really love rock and roll. Rock is not really from Cuba, but I love all the bands. Like, I really have nothing to, to add to rock and roll. And that's completely crazy because I'm just going to name you one, again, another amazing human first and amazing musician that we count with in this city of Toronto. His name is Elmer Ferrer. Mm. amazing guitarist mm. and he can play from any style of music rock and he's a big fan of rock and roll mm. as I was and I still am mm. I am you know but he he knows the, the Cuban music inside out the music from his region that he comes from Santi Spiritu which is he has their own their, their own formula of, of playing Cuban music mm -hmm. all the established uh, styles and uh, recently he just finished touring worldwide uh, with Sukaro. Uh, Sukaro mm. put this band, this project together, which it was like half of a band, a huge band, was from Cuba, and the other one was his Italian band, you know. And they had an amazing, amazing tour. And Elmer, he's part of this community. He lives in this city. Mm. He plays with Lanell mm -hmm. and many other artists, and then he's amazing. And then. It cannot be, we cannot be further off, sorry, uh, far, you know. The moment that you go in that direction that you think like, well, I was born and raised in Cuba and then it's only about Cuban music that it been exposed. I can, how can I learn about really like rock and roll, country music from the States, jazz, like I have no access to that. Still musicians, even though we didn't have access, clear, 
supported access from the government, we still find, found ways to f find recordings, videotapes mm. of, you name it, Jaco Pastorius, Miles Davis, you know, whoever, and watch those and rewind it and watch it again and learn and learn that style of music and, and be so far away from the fountain of that style of music mm -hmm. and still people became a jazz player, you know, a rock player, mm -hmm. you know? Hmm. So, yeah. Everybody has something to add. Something. Mm. And then it always starts with your attitude, how you see yourself. And if you see yourself part of a movement, part of something, you can always add your voice. And you bet that the moment you play, whether the band agrees with the group that you're playing or they try to change it for the best of the song or whatever, the composer had an idea and he's still he's, he's trying to find it. And he keeps asking you, Tim, yeah, but can you play it this other way? You know, and then he's helping you, you're helping him and you find something unique. Mm -hmm. And you bet that someone else come after you and they, they're not gonna play exactly like you. They could be as good as you, but it's gonna sound unique as well, mm -hmm. you know, in a different way. So everybody has something. It's just another it's voice to add. Another voice. Yeah. So you mentioned musical styles. I have to ask. Yep. You grew up with, you know, uh, Cuban styles. What do you listen to now? What do you go to when you just want to listen to some music and relax? Like, you know, are, you said you're a rock fan. You know, yeah. are you uh, are you sitting down and listening to Metallica? Are you sitting down and listening to? Um, John Denver, like what, what styles of music and, and what, what sounds do you go to when you just want to enjoy? Everything, mm. truly, everything. And there's so much music that has been recorded already that one has to go through, especially someone like me mm. that come into, a, you know, like, this, like move to Toronto and Canada. And there's so much history of bands that have, that have recorded many albums, whether it is for rock, for jazz, for pop music in general, all those, you know, different, you know, categories of pop. And so much great music created already that you have to go through that little by little, you know, and listen to it. But I do listen to all kinds of music, Brazilian music, and call it, it is like Batucada style music or samba or Partido Alto, or any style from Brazil, any style from, from Portugal, any style from Africa, which is a continent. Mm. And in there, within that continent, there's so many countries that do, people play different styles of music. Uh, music from Japan, music from Spain. I'm a big fan of flamenco. I'm, mm. I'm a flamenco player, became three years after many years working with the Esmeralda Enrique Spanish uh, dance company. Mm. And the city gave me the opportunity to learn about this art, this form of music, which is flamenco music. It's music from the southern Spain, influenced by many cultures that, that went there one day through history of humankind. Mm. And then it is what flamenco is. It's not one thing, it's all. And, and it has, this, the seed and the carry of the carrying on of many people going through that land mm. and then adding a little bit more and then changing it and and the gypsy people from Spain rescuing it and making it 
part of their identity and adding their own voice and adding their own sound to it. And they're responsible for at least rescuing, in my opinion, which I know very little about flamenco, but I'm a big fan. I mm. can tell you that. Uh, they're responsible for bringing it alive and, and exposing it. And, exposing it. Mm. You know, I can just name you a few people that are responsible for changing flamenco and, and affecting the entire world by bringing this music out of, out of Spain. Paco de Lucia is one of them. Mm. He, he, he passed, unfortunately, in 2014, I believe, or mm. 15. He passed away, but it was the most amazing uh, flamenco guitarist, but also non, non-flamenco too. He would play anything, and he wouldn't care. He would be criticized by the purest in Spain. And in fact, he wasn't not even a, a, coming from a gypsy family. Mm. You know, Portuguese, and I think, I think Portuguese, or yeah, and then Spanish in general, but um, Vicente Amigo, it's another guitarist that should be looked up by any guitarist in the world, even if your thing is speed metal. When you listen to that guy playing his guitar, his style, it doesn't mean that you're going to all of a sudden play that, mm. but you go like, wow, you just build an awareness, a respect for what other ones do in a different way, you know, playing with their fingers instead of a pick, which is great too. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong, you know, with any. It's just they're different approaches to playing an instrument, right? But then all of a sudden you think of all those things and your attitude on the stage could change for, for better. All of a sudden you don't feel like so selfish about, oh, it's about me. No, mm. it goes like, wow, that was a great lesson just watching that YouTube video from that guy. All of a sudden I feel like I have so much to learn. Mm. I have so much to become aware of, listen, music to listen to, you know? And that's what I do. I listen to a lot of music from any possible style or genre that we could categorize any music under, you know. And if it touches me, it touches me. And at least I listen to the album once. If I, I really don't care to listen again, you know, to that album, I just put it aside and then I still have it there. Mm. There's a reference to something that uh, at some point potentially could help me. You've had that experience, yeah. right? And then you, you can take that as part of your experience Absolutely. or you can just move on. Right? Absolutely. Mm. Everything is unique, nothing is purest. That's how I look at it. Mm. Everything is unique because the moment you play on the drum, your drum set, it's unique. It's your voice, Tim. It is my way of playing. It is whoever player that we can talk about it. But again, it's not pure because it comes, it has a history and it's attached to all these backgrounds and this cultural, you know, and that other cultural and this one that came here and then join it with this other one. And it's just part of, I, this, that's the way I, I, see, I look at it. It's part of just one tree. Mm. There's many branches, mm. but one tree of music. A human tree As well. of communication. Exactly. Whether it's through voice or through action on a device or yeah. a, a, an instrument of yeah. some form, it's a communication. And such a powerful one music is mm. because you could speak Mandarin mm-hmm. and, you know, and another person beside you could speak, I don't know, Polish. And then you both are sitting together understanding what's going on and, and connected, being, you know, connected to that. And not necessarily understanding the language that they sing in that. 
Or if it's instrumental music, you bet that it's like, it's equal to everybody and everybody's speaking the same language, just music, mm. listening. That's beautiful. Yeah. Love it. One final question. When you think of a 1957 Chevy, does it feel um, worldly or does it feel Cuban to you? Totally Cuban. Yeah. Not even American, even though it was made in America, mm -hmm. right? But totally Cuban because it's been part of the history of that country for the last 60, 70 years, if not, if, if not more. Mm -hmm. And that, th those were the vehicles that you would travel in the island as a taxi, you know, doing a service, or, or, or your neighbor. Mm -hmm. That you could also ask him to... Are you going to Havana tomorrow? What time are you leaving in the, in the morning? Oh, I have to go to Havana. You think I can get, get, catch a ride with you? Because absolutely. I'll be ready to go at 7 a.m. So be ready outside my house, my door. So, and those were the vehicles, right? Mm. And it's still, they still around. Well, some without a bumper. Yeah, but the, the ones that I took the bumper actually were the one that, that completely got like no, like pass repairing. Oh, okay. So it was just a, a chassis, you call mm -hmm. it? Yeah. yeah. Just sitting there, rusting. And then this part were probably made, it, it's the hardest part mm -hmm. of, a, of those vehicles, uh, of a stainless steel, right? Mm -hmm. Really hard and still like in per perfect shape, you know? That's, yeah. That's fabulous. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it, it's interesting to see somebody have a perspective on something that's so iconically American as something that's so iconically Cuban. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Chandy, thank you so much. My pleasure. What a great experience. Thank you for listening to my story and then allow it to get out there and then that's it. Hopefully there'll be more stories. Thanks so much. That's wonderful, thank you. Thank you. To learn more about Chendi Leon, please find him on Facebook, and you can get more information at Humber College's faculty website. For more information on the New Shores Project, of which Chendi is a contributing artist, please check out newshoresproject.org or at New Shores Music on both Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the New Shores Podcast Sounds Edition. The podcast features conversations with musicians, producers, educators, and artists who are passionate about sharing their stories of shaping new sounds, experiences, and ideas. Look for new episodes including the NSP Scenes Edition, a video podcast companion, and live special editions featuring performances from notable artists. 